I'm Frank Daly and welcome to That Sounds Interesting podcast, which features interviews, discussions and short stories on topics which are unusual but relevant in the current world. If I asked any random person on the street, what is Stoicism? I'm pretty sure many of them would be hard pressed to say any more than a sentence or two about it. And I have to include myself in that group. So I had to do quite a bit of research before talking to today's guest, Peter Daly, my brother and an avid fan of Stoicism. Welcome, Peter, and thanks for being on today's podcast to talk about Stoicism, which I believe has undergone a big revival in the past decade. Hi, Frank, and thanks for inviting me. Uh, Yes, uh, if you asked a random person what Stoicism is, you would probably hear something along the lines of, what is Stoicism with a small s? Um, we use the word Stoic in, in the English language to mean something like a British stiff upper lip or perhaps uh, something like the character Spock from Star Trek. This is really a caricature of what Stoicism meant in the ancient world. Stoicism in the ancient world was a philosophy, uh, a major philosophy of life, in fact. And it has, as you correctly point out, undergone a major revival today. So. But what we're talking about here, for the sake of our listeners, is Stoicism with a capital S. Okay, so um, Stoicism is a philosophy, not a religion. Is that correct? Uh, yes. So modern Stoicism, uh, we would say, is compatible with a range of different uh, metaphysical beliefs. Um, so in that sense, uh, it's what we call a broad church, if you like. Um, there are uh, people who are Christians, Buddhists, and so on. Although, to be frank, the majority of modern Stoics are probably atheists or agnostics. But in the ancient world, Stoicism, to, or rather philosophy, to, to an extent, represented an analogous position to religion in the modern world. It was uh, a way of life. It wasn't simply about uh, philosophical theories uh, for, for their own sake. One of the, the great leaders in Stoicism, uh, Epictetus, uh, chides his students for idle chatter uh, about philosophy. And Marcus Aurelius says, talk no more about how to be a good man, just be one. Okay, so you mentioned two Stoics from the ancient world. Who were the main Stoics in the ancient world? Uh, well, it was started around 300 BC by um, Zeno of Citium. So it was started in the Greek world and then it spread, spread of course, through the Roman conquests of the Greek world into the Roman uh, Republic and then later Empire. Uh, the A lot of writings have been lost, but we do have a good deal of writings from a number of Stoics in the Roman early Roman period. Uh, these are in particular Seneca, uh, who was a prolific writer and statesman, uh, and also uh, for a while a tutor to Nero uh, before he was ordered to commit suicide. Um, and uh, then there was Epictetus, an ex-slave who, among other philosophers, was banished from Rome and set up a school of philosophy in Nicopolis in what is present-day Turkey. His writings were recorded by a statesman, Arian, who seems to have engaged in uh, some form of shorthand in his classes. Epictetus didn't write anything himself, but his verbatim conversations and dialogues with his students were taken down and form what we call the discourses in four books. And then later we have um, Marcus Aurelius, 
who, of course, is probably the best-known Stoic today. He was very popular in the 19th century, although he was very much out of uh, popularity in the 20th century. He wrote a book called Meditations. They were not intended for publication. They were notes to himself, to ways of keeping a journal to remind himself of uh, Stoic practice as he fought a war uh, on the on the border against barbarians. And uh, in fact, he makes a brief, a character portraying Marcus makes a brief appearance in the film Gladiator. He's seen writing in his tent. That's very interesting, Peter. Um, it's very interesting to get the history, the background to this uh, philosophy. But now that we have some background on it and who the main ancient Stoics were, let's discuss the philosophy itself. What are the central ideas in Stoicism? The central idea in Stoicism is the importance, the all-encompassing importance of virtue. Now, virtue sounds somewhat stuffy and Victorian to our modern ears, but what they meant by virtue was um, the practice of the four cardinal virtues of the ancient world, temperance, uh, justice, courage, and wisdom. And they see these basically as being what makes a human being an excellent human being. They point out to the excellence of a racehorse being the ability to run fast, or of a dog to hunt, or of a knife to cut. So similarly, the excellence of a human being is to be rational, because we're primarily rational beings, and they elevate the importance of rationality. And second of all, we're social beings. So w within that context, um, unlike Aristotle, who said that virtue is the chief good, the uh, Stoics made the somewhat shocking claim that virtue was the only good. And the other things that we call uh, good, such as good health, wealth, fortune, etc., um, etc., et are what are called preferred indifference. In other words, they're to be preferred, but they're not absolutely essential for leading a virtuous and therefore a happy life, as the Stoics would see it. So virtue is central. And within this context, um, the idea of what's called the dichotomy of control is absolutely a central concept. It means basically, as Epictetus says in his handbook, Certain things are under our control and certain things are not under our control. If we pay attention to those things which are not under our control and believe that they are, we're going to be fairly miserable. If we pin our hopes on absolutely achieving our work ambitions, our ability to be wealthy, uh, to be successful, to be admired, respected, remembered and so on, uh, these things are not ultimately within our control. We may, for instance, um, go on a diet, we may be practicing a very healthy regime, but ultimately whether we get sick or not is entirely outside of our hands. So if Stoics accept what things that are in their control, will they just acquiesce to dictatorships or injustices? Uh, no, because uh, the, the, the Stoics, uh, Stoicism means that you, you do in fact have to accept what is, what is outside your control, um, as in the modern day serenity prayer, which uh, is very much based on Stoic lines, uh, which is, uh, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But, but Stoicism is not fatalism. It's not quietism. It's not about turning, uh, turning inwards and focusing only on the inward life and seeking enlightenment. 
uh, as, as one might in um, the devotees of certain Eastern religions. Uh, Stoicism was very much concerned with action in the, in, in the external world. Um, Stoicism expected to fight against injustice uh, where they see it. And uh, a number of major Stoics uh, paid with their lives, such as Cato, uh, who opposed uh, Julius Caesar. And in fact, it's quite notable that although he wasn't a philosopher or a teacher, he was regarded as a major Stoic simply because he exemplified Stoicism in his daily life and in his actions. Okay, so can we turn now to the uh, concept which you mentioned earlier on, which is leading a good life. What's the Stoic approach to that? Well, the Stoic approach is that we must really pay attention to what is in our control what is not in our control and focus on making what the Stoics call a good use of impressions. So an impression is something that that might be regarded as, for instance, an external event or it might be a, a thought, a disturbing thought, or it might be an occasion for anger. The Stoics have a sophisticated theory of emotions. They believe that we certainly, if we get a sudden fright, we can't help reacting in, in an involuntary way, but we're not we must not give our consent to buying into the anger or buying into various other negative emotions. Effectively, Stoics are not about being passionless, about being Spock-like, which, as I mentioned earlier, is a, is a caricature. Stoics oppose what are called the passions, by which they mean those negative forces which can, if left unchecked, can make our life a misery, such as um, anger to which they paid particular attention. In the modern world, we would talk about depression, anxiety, uh, and a range of other mental uh, conditions which can make our life uh, fairly miserable. On the other hand, Stoics believe in cultivating positive emotions, uh, particularly those emotions which are associated with our roles as social beings. So we must look to what roles do we play? Are we a father, a brother, a, a son? A, a husband, a citizen, and the Stoics ultimately see a fellowship with all human beings. Hence the the concept which we have today, or the word we have today, of cosmopolitan. They believe themselves to be citizens of the world, ultimately. So there's a series of expanding circles of concern. We're immediately concerned with our immediate relatives, beyond that our friends, beyond that uh, our society, and so on. Okay, so you've just said here that there's a social aspect to stoicism. So, and you were giving that uh, interaction with regard to family and with people in our, our, our influence. Is it all outward looking in that respect, or is it a combination of inward looking and outward looking? Yes, that's probably a pro- probably a reasonable way of looking at it. It's 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 a combination. I mean, one obviously exhi- exhibits courage. One one can do that in a variety of ways. One could do it in battle, for instance. Uh, the, the most classical sort of uh, example that they had in mind. Uh, but but would one could also bear do it say in bearing one's illnesses or in dealing with uh, difficult personal circumstances. Uh, so it, it's it's a combination of both. Okay, so. Can I ask now a question about the influence of Stoicism, and particular with regard to cognitive behavioural therapy? And maybe we could start by actually defining what cognitive behavioural therapy is. 
Uh, yes, CBT is the main form of talking therapy today. It's uh, an alternative for depression and anxiety in particular. Uh, it has a vast amount of um, you know, double-blind placebo-controlled trials which show its efficacy is as good as a course of antidepressants. Um, and sometimes it's used along with antidepressants. Um, it, it really rose in the middle of the last century when uh, the founders of it, Aaron Beck and um, Ellis, looked back to the works of Epictetus, where Epictetus said, it's not death or exile, which is terrible, but the fear of death or exile. So this prompted them, to, along with a number of other factors, to, to, to think about the importance of our thought processes and our beliefs in various uh, mental disorders. At the time, Freudianism was quite dominant, but it was quite unscientific. Um, so the basic concept in CBT is that um, we have an activating event, A, we have a consequence, C, but in between A and C is B, which is your belief about it. For instance, to give a simple example, you may be used to a friendly hello from your boss every day. You come in one particular occasion and he just grunts or ignores you and you immediately start worrying that that your report is uh, is is pretty uh, unsatisfactory. Uh, so you feel bad about that and maybe worried about your job. It's all a consequence of your belief about it. And the solution to it is to engage in D, A, B, C, D. D is disputation, where you challenge the thought, look for alternatives and uh, try to thereby control your uh, emotional reactions towards it. That's a really interesting idea in that you're never just accepting the first thing. So people who worry a lot, for example, right, would be picking on what they think is the worst possible item and then believing that's what it is when it mightn't actually be it. And so stoicism advises them to consider other possibilities that might have resulted in the situation. Well, yeah, that's uh, particularly CBT, yes. But we, we must appreciate that the, the, the one of the problems for people that have anxiety or worry is, is to worry that a very unpleasant outcome may occur. And the the attitude of a lot of, a lot of people, uh, let's say amateurs who are advising them, might be along the lines, oh, it'll never occur, you're, you're exaggerating it. That may be appropriate in some circumstances, but the, the, the reality is that it may well occur. And therefore, this attempt to seek reassurance simply makes the situation worse. As, for instance, in the treatment of anxiety in CBT, where running away from your problem, uh, avoiding, in agoraphobia, for instance, avoiding being outside is precisely what fuels the, the problem. So the worst case scenario may well occur. And in, in Stoicism, the Stoics treat us not to think that something bad is not going to happen, but it may well, in fact, happen. But that if it, when it does happen, you will be able to bear it because you will have the tools for dealing with it. For instance, death is an example. You may be reassured by well-meaning individuals that there's no chance of you dying. There may well be a chance of you dying. And in fact, the Stoics recognize that engaging in contemplation of, of death and the fact that it's a natural process is, as Epictetus says, a bogeyman, is uh, very positive. As Epictetus also says, 
if it's not going to happen now, then it, then it'll happen later. So. <laughs> okay. Well, of course. I mean, obviously, that is something that's going to happen at some stage in your life. We all know that. But the thing is that focusing on it exclusively at a particular time could be depressing in some ways. Well, yeah. The therapists, um, you know, certainly CBT people would advise that this is something you would need to work up towards. You would need you would need to be able to handle it in case. But the, there, there, there is a, a thing in CBT called exposure therapy. I mean, the most classic example might be, say, somebody's afraid of a spider. They're brought into a room with spiders and, and get, they get progressively closer. And by the end of the therapy, they can, they can take a tarantula walking up your arm <laughs> quite, quite easily. Yeah. So sim- similarly, in, similarly in, in both CBT and stoicism, there is a, uh, a focus on what's called imaginal exposure, where you can imagine certain negative circumstances in order to reduce your anxiety. And it's been shown that if it's done in the correct way, you can greatly reduce your anxiety about uh, cer- certain feared um, circumstances occurring. There's a particular, to return to the question of death, there's a particularly um, good story uh, told by Epictetus. This senator called Agrippinus was being tried by the Senate. But every morning he used to go for his bath, so he decided there was no reason to change his plans. When he came out, his friends said to him, you've been condemned. He said, to, to death or to exile? And the answer was, to uh, to exile. And then he said, what about my property? Has it been confiscated? And they said, no. So he said, splendid. In that case, let's go there now and have lunch, because lunchtime has arrived. Epictetus says, this shows what's possible. When, when you keep your will in, in line with nature, in other words, with what's required of a stoic, I must die. If I die, if now, I die forthwith. If not, I will take lunch now. The time for lunch has arrived. I'm dying, I'll tend to later. okay well that's really very practical i have to say and to be trained and thinking in those lines but in some cases i guess people find that they are challenged by the worries that they have and 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 maybe so some does give them some relief that's possibly that why as we were discussing with regard to cbt it could be beneficial stoicism has influenced cbt stoicism is a philosophy of life for everybody whether they have clinical you know, psychological or psychiatric conditions or not. So CBT is specifically short-term treatment for those psychiatric uh, conditions. Stoicism, by, by contrast, is a philosophy of life for those who are well, as well as for those who are sick. Of course. Okay. Well, that, that's a good way of describing it, I guess. Um can I just turn, actually, just a slightly different tack? Are there many groups of modern Stoics in the world? Uh, yes, there's a, there's there's a lot of um, uh, stoic groups uh, which have got going. Um, the, the stoicism was very much out of fashion in the 20th century, but towards the end of the century, there's a revival of what's called virtue ethics, uh, the, the focus on not the type of way that ethics is uh, has 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 been taught in recent times in philosophy, which is to focus on ethical dilemmas, but rather in terms of building character, as the ancients would have would have thought, building a virtuous character. And uh, there was a number of major writers, like uh, Professor Anthony Long, uh, who wrote uh, a superb book on Epictetus and his, his role as the Roman Socrates. Um, and then uh, in the uh, 21st century, a number of writers started producing popular books, 
first was Bill Irvine with his uh, The Art of Stoic Joy in 2009. And then that was followed by somebody who's very prominent, uh, a very prominent leader in the modern Stoic movement, Donald Robertson. He's uh, originally a Scottish psychotherapist, uh, moved to Canada and I believe is uh, living uh, for the moment in Athens. Um, he wrote Teach Yourself Stoicism. Uh, and then um, there was also uh, a group of people who founded the modern uh, Stoicism project. And they have, a, they have a blog where various essays are produced and they organize a, an annual Stoicon. These are people like John Sellers, who's also a Stoic author, who wrote Lessons in Stoicism. Um, and uh, there are a, a number of others uh, at Exeter uh, University, some of whom are psychotherapists and some are involved in philosophy. Then, so as well as the annual Stoicon, there's also been a growth of Stoic groups around the world. And there is a type of overarching organization that tries to keep them in communication with each other called the Stoic Fellowship, run by James Kosteke. In, in the US and his his colleagues. So that's a brief overview of what's happening. So how could you put Stoicism into practice? The, the Stoics have a set of practices. Like, like anything, uh, you build up uh, skill and ex experience by actually doing it every day, uh, whether it's a sport or, or you know, coding software, whatever it is. The, the Stoics uh, start off with a brief morning meditation, thinking about the day ahead, uh, the sort of obstacles they could face and what sort of Stoic principles they can put into practice. One of the key uh, Stoic ideas is in the idea of the reserve clause. Um, and the example they give of this is Stoic archer. Let's say a Stoic archer is uh, out hunting. and he, He's aiming at a deer with a bow and arrow. He far, fires the arrow, but anything can happen. Uh, the, the deer may move, the uh, the wind may blow it off target, or, or his aim may be bad. Uh, so he he all he can all he can guarantee is to make the effort to hit the target. He can't guarantee it. So we must undertake every action with a reserve clause, more or less saying that I will do X so and so. I will do X and Y, fate willing. In other words. If it's possible, yeah. Would, I mean, in yeah. other words, I make best efforts in order to do this, and if I don't manage to do it, well, that's okay. Yes, exactly, and it presents an opportunity then to practice another, uh, another uh, virtue, which is the art of stoic acceptance. If you miss the target, so that th those are the sort of things you put into practice during the day, and at the end of the day, then you review how you've behaved as a stoic. Did you lose your temper? Did you? Uh, did you get over upset when you missed the target? Uh, did you behave in various w negative ways, uh, giving way to passions, or 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 uh, and so on? And you uh, try to indicate where, try to work out for yourself how you could be do better tomorrow. Stoics also believe in putting into practice what are called maxims. That is, having short quotations from the Stoic masters that they're, they're able to repeat to themselves. Um, as, as one of the leading um, French scholars, Pierre Hadot said, what, what we need are uh, short phrases which we can repeat ourselves in difficult circumstances so as to check the movements of fear, anger or sadness. 
Okay, that's excellent, Peter. And so in other words, basically, they're kind of like affirmations that people sometimes say to try and calm themselves down or to help themselves stay on target within the philosophy. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And Epictetus' uh, work is summarized also in a thing called the Handbook or Enchiridion. I've produced my own Enchiridion of Stoic quotations which I can, uh, in a small notebook, which I can open up at any stage and, and read. Okay, and you, dealing with different circumstances, you can turn and find uh, what the Stoics would say with regard to this circumstance, and it helps you un, uh, deal with it, I guess. Yes, uh, precisely. And there's another Stoic practice, which I think is worth mentioning, which is called the view from above. This is very much uh, something taken from Marcus Aurelius, where he, you know, he thinks about the infinite amount of time uh, the shortness of life, the infinite amount of time after he's dead, and the infinite amount of time uh, be- before he was alive, you know, how he envisages looking down, maybe like Zeus, on the, on the earth below and realizing how small his king, the Roman Empire is, and how small, in fact, the entire planet is. Yeah, how trivial some things that seem very big at certain times in the global context or in the bigger picture, they're probably not, not that big. One one thing which is uh, is particularly beautiful from the point of view of the view from above is a very famous photograph from 1990, I think it was, uh, of the Earth. Uh, it's called the pale blue dot photograph. Uh, it was it, it was the Voyager one or Voyager two spacecraft which had reached Saturn, and uh, they decided to turn it around towards its origin and take a photograph of Earth from six billion miles away. So it's it's uh, it's it's an almost imperceptible little pixel, which is difficult to find in the photograph. So it's an extraordinary image uh, of 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 the Earth in a in a, in a vast uh, blackness. Before we finish up, can I ask you what books what books are there to read and learn more, or actually start practicing about Stoicism? Well, you when you're more experienced, uh, you could actually st- start to read the original documents. It's probably good to read an introductory book first, but I'll start off with some of the original texts. Obviously, there's the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Uh, I, I would urge a modern version of that. I can't remember the name of the author who, behind it, but uh, there's some modern uh, uh, translations which are very good. I would urge you to rec- to avoid the Penguin uh, book uh, from the 1960s where the translation I think is very old-fashioned and difficult to read. Um, there are various uh, translations of Epictetus. Uh, surprisingly, uh, one of the ones from the Loeb Classical Library, which I have, which is printed in Greek on one side and English on the other, is uh, is very powerful, despite the language being very slightly, slightly antiquated. It's very beautiful and powerful uh, use of English and uh, certainly effectively communicates uh, Epictetus. So the, normally you get the the handbook and the discourses of Epictetus in one book. Um, Seneca has produced uh, a lot of different documents, such as the uh, letters uh, to a Stoic, uh, which uh, gives his correspondence with somebody called Lucilius. He also wrote a series of essays um, so there's a book called On the Shortness of Life, which incorporates a number of his essays. And then, of course, there's the uh, document, uh, single document by Marcus Aurelius, the Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. But in terms of modern literature, there is the art of 
uh, Stoic Joy by Bill Irvine. There is uh, Teach Yourself Stoicism by Donald Robertson. And then a book I think is probably the best single book uh, written on modern Stoicism, which is How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, uh, which is on the philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. It's a great book because it incorporates uh, history of Marcus's life and all of the difficulties he faced, particularly on the frontier against barbarians, interspersed with um, how to deal, how to be resilient, how to deal with pain, uh, adversity of various types. Um, so it, it's a really superb book. Um, I'd also recommend Lessons in Stoicism by John Sellers. And there's also a book on Stoicism whose name escapes me from Massimo Pigliucci, who is a, a biologist turned philosopher in New York. And I think he's also involved in the New York Stoics. Okay, that's a great wealth of information, Peter, which is available. And um, what about um, meetups and Zoom meetings and uh, organizations around Stoicism that are here in Ireland or in other places? There used to be a, a Stoic group that myself and uh, my co-founder Joe Plowman ran called the Dublin Stoics on Meetup, but uh, for various reasons, various changes in circumstances, we had to let it lapse. Uh, but there, there are a range of Stoic groups or Stoas, as they're called in the ancient world, um, in, in, in various cities. There's the London Stoics, um, there is the New York Stoics, there's several groups of Stoics in, in the U.S., and uh, I think uh, many countries in, in Western Europe uh, have, have groups of uh, Stoics. I'm not sure about uh, further beyond that. Of course, the, the modern Stoicism website and blog, which, which, which is very good. There is Stoicon, which occurs, used to occur physically in uh, Toronto and London and New York every year, uh, but now occurs virtually. And uh, you can log on to that. Okay, that's super. That, that's great to, to know all the details that are around and how many people are actually practicing it. So, Peter, thanks very much for providing this introduction to Stoicism and the books you've mentioned and the websites and the other resources, uh, which might be a great starting point and also for further information. Thank you, Frank. My pleasure. Okay, that's it for now. I'll be back soon with another guest and another podcast of That Sounds Interesting. And see you next time.